0: Let's look at Psalm chapter 23. I know you did some standing this morning, but would you please stand one last time in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Lord, we are grateful to gather this morning and worship You. We're grateful for the freedom that we have to gather and worship You. God, this morning we corporately confess that we need You. God, we need You to speak to our hearts. We need You to help our hearts to hear, to see, and to understand. God, I ask now that You would anoint me with the unction from heaven in the power of the Holy Ghost, to preach Your Word this morning, in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that Your Word would go forth this morning, rightly divided in power and authority in love in kindness in boldness. God, that it would change us, that we would leave different than we came. Lord, that we would know You better than we knew You when we first walked in. God, I ask that You reveal Yourself to us. We pray simply, God, that You would give Yourself to us this morning. Help us to see You. Help us to know You. Help us to hear You. God, we ask if there be any here today who are not truly saved. If there are any here today who, if they were to die today, would spend forever in hell. That today would be the day they would run to You and find forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there be any saints here this morning whose hearts are discouraged and they are tired and weary, that God, You would encourage them this morning through Your Word. Whatever it is that You do, God, we will be careful to honor You only for it. For we know that all good things come from You. Have Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are on the fourth sermon of the sermon series on Psalm 23, and I want to look at the simple statement, the first four words of verse three, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. What does it mean that God restores our soul? First of all, I want to look at the word restore, and then I want to look at the word soul, and then I want to share with you three very simple thoughts this morning. What, it is, what does it mean to restore something? To restore something means to take something that is broken or um, something has gone wrong with it, something that once used to be in an original state that has been damaged, maybe through neglect, maybe through some type of wreck, but for whatever the cause might be, it is broken and it needs repaired. The first two years that I was saved, I worked at an auto collision center. And one of the things that we did amongst uh, fixing uh, standard wrecks, we were a restoring business. I'll never forget, they brought in a 1930s uh, Ford pickup, one of the old ones that had wood in the bed when it was originally made. And when they brought this thing in, it looked like it was fit for the dump. It looked like there was nothing that could be done with it. It had no motor in it. It was rusted. The frame was rusted. Um, It just looked like, it looked hopeless. And over a period of almost eight months, it was a very long process, but over a period of eight months, we took that vehicle and we made it look like new. And when it eventually drove away from our shop, you would have never known it was the same vehicle that came in eight months ago because there was no comparison after it had been restored. And so I personally kind of understand restoring. I understand that it's a process. I understand, though, that, that the goal is to take something that once used to be valuable, that once used to work properly, that once used to, to be made for a certain purpose, and it no longer works that way. So the Bible tells us God restores our soul. I think that's an interesting word to use concerning the soul. Now, before I preach on God restoring the soul, I want to just clearly identify what is the soul. We use that word a lot in in uh, not just Christianity, but people in general. Uh, we talk about heart and soul. But what does the Bible mean when it talks about soul? Your soul is the place of the mind, the will, and the emotion. It's different than your brain. Your brain basically processes facts. Your brain tells you that fire is hot, but your soul is really the place of reasoning where you try to figure out, am I going to force myself to walk across hot coals or not? Am I going to touch the thing that's hot or not? Your brain just tells you the facts. Your soul, though, it is that place of reason. It is where we feel. It is the thing that makes us unique. Every single one of us in this room would agree that fire is hot because our brains work. But how we handle fire... Whether or, not we, uh, whether or not we like to be around fire. Whether or not we like to be hot or cold. Whether or not w- the, the way that we behave is different. Because we are all uniquely different in our soul. Your soul in some ways is the express image of who you are. It is your will. It is that place when you decide... Here's how I will behave or here's how I will not. I will either submit to God or I will not submit to God. I'm either going to give up or no, I'm going to stand strong and keep going. If I was to put it in its most simplest terms, it is the center of our emotions. It is what we feel inside. The Bible says God restores our soul. You know, sometimes the soul needs restored. Sometimes your soul needs restored. And I want to preach to you this morning about three times God restores the soul. First of all, the initial restoration of the soul. The initial restoration of the soul. The first time that God really restores your soul. To understand the need for the initial restoration of the soul, we need to understand what went wrong first. First in the garden of Eden, man sinned against God. The Bible tells us that that God made man from the dust of the earth and that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Jesus spoke about him being life, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And The life that we have as humans, the thing that separates us from all of the rest of creation, animals, if you will, is that God gave us a spirit. Our spirit is what we communicate back and forth with God about. And when God originally made man, man is a three-part being. Body, soul, and spirit. And when God made man, here's how... The function was supposed to work. The spirit of man was to communicate with God. The Bible tells us that the Lord is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's what it tells us. You cannot worship God if you're not doing it in spirit. You cannot communicate with God if you do not communicate with God in spirit. God is a spiritual being. And so, the spirit of man would communicate with God. It was like walking hand in hand. And man's spirit would relate to his soul. Here's how we should do. And man's soul, the place of his will, was to agree with the spirit. And then man's body was to follow. When man sinned against God, his spirit, in essence, died, became Dormant. Lost the ability to clearly communicate with God on a regular basis. And man was left with nothing except for his body to get directions. The Bible calls it the flesh. Whatever you want, whatever you feel, whatever you think, that's what you need. And man's soul began to take directions from his flesh. It is the way that all of us lived before we were saved. If you're here this morning and you're saved, you know it. Your directions came from you. What you felt, what you thought, the way that you process life, your directions came from you. And at the fall, God's design for man was destroyed. God's in the restoring business. God's in the business of fixing what was broken. The goal of God restoring your soul is to put it in its right place with God. And God does this by giving us new life, by causing us to be born again. By giving life to the Spirit. The aim of God is to restore man to his rightful position. God wants you to have a relationship with Him. God wants you to have a living Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit living inside of you. Giving you directions concerning how you are to be. How you are to behave. How you are to handle certain situations. And God wants to restore the soul so that the soul begins to submit To the Spirit's will for your life. This is the process of restoration. And until you've been born again, you've never really experienced it. It is not possible to truly communicate with God, to walk with God, to talk with God, to hear from God, to know God without being born again. Let's look together at John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. John chapter 3. 3 verses 3 through 6. What did Jesus have to say about this? Jesus said answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want to just pause for a moment. I've got to move quickly this morning and I don't want to spend my whole sermon on this point. But Jesus said you cannot see the kingdom of God. No doubt there is a reference to the heaven that is to come. No doubt this is a reference to eternal life. But Jesus also said concerning His work on earth that the kingdom... Is here. He told the apostles to go and preach and tell the people, the kingdom of God is near you. What does this mean? It means that God can be working all around us. God can be doing magnificent things. And until we have been born again, we are blind to what God is really doing. That's why we can come in and have a service. And there are some folks who are deeply moved and they can't get it out of their soul. They just want to praise God. There's something going on. Lives are being changed. They're talking about it. All they want to do is hear from the Word of God. They want to praise God. And then in the same pew, right next to the same person, there's somebody saying, what is this all about? Because they can't see what you see. Because unless a man's been born again, again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To him, it's nothing more than the one that cannot see. To him, it must be nothing more than emotionalism. Why is this person so excited? Well, he just must be an emotional person. That's why. No, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you've truly been born again. Now, here's what he said. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Look what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Have you been born of the Spirit this morning? If you haven't, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6. This is what I want you to see. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. See, we have a spiritual nature. God desires that we are born of the Spirit and that we walk in the Spirit. That's another term the Apostle Paul used a lot. And that we communicate with God as we walk in the Spirit. This is what happens when we're born again. This is the initial restoration of the soul. And I will never forget, I I remember thinking that Christianity was nuts. That, that people who believed in God were crazy. I, I wouldn't necessarily say I was an atheist, but I was close. I was more like an agnostic. You know, maybe God is real, but I don't think He is. But, but who knows who's God and who knows what's really true? And, and I, I just didn't believe in the message of Christianity. I did not believe in the message of Jesus Christ. And I thought that I knew all that there was to know. I thought that I had figured everything out. But the reality was, the more that I thought I knew, the more I came to realize I was empty inside. The more I came to realize that popularity did not make me feel good. That popularity did not fill the void in my soul. I tried everything that you could think of. I'm afraid I don't mean to be graphic this morning, but I tried sex. I tried drugs. I tried alcohol. I tried wealth. I tried uh, working, I tried all sorts of these things that especially at my age when I was doing these things, I was told would make me happy. Now whether it was told directly or indirectly, it was the message that this world tries to send. And I went after it with all of my energy. With everything I had to give, I was a hundred percent in. I went after it. And I would go around and you would think that I was happy. You would think that I looked joyful. You would think that I was the life of the party. You would think that I enjoyed my life. And then I would slip away from everybody else and I would lay my pillow on my head at night and I would think to myself, is this really all that there is to life? You see, my soul was in turmoil. My soul was unsatisfied because the Bible says you are created by Him and for Him. You will never find the purpose of your life. You will never find meaning until you fully embrace and come to know you were made for God. You weren't made for everything else. You weren't made for this world. You weren't designed for this world. You were designed for God. And until you embrace your God-given design, your soul will never be satisfied. And I was finally at a place where I was so tired and, and tired of pretending. Tired of trying to smile. Tired of trying to keep up the same old routine where everybody thought Joplin was so happy and everything was so great. And while everybody thought that, nobody really knew how dark my life was. I'm talking to you about the destruction of the soul. Where I finally became so down-spirited in my soul that I lay there and thought, you ought to just kill yourself. If this is all that there is to life, then just die. And I began seeking. Seeking. You know, I thought to myself, well, if you kill yourself, you're probably going to go to hell if hell is real. And that was the motivating factor between not killing myself that week. I thought, just give it 30 days at least. Spend some time trying to figure out, try to prove that God doesn't exist. Try to prove that that God is not real. And then once you get it proved, go ahead and do what you're going to do. There's no sense in living this life any longer. I began reading the Bible, I began going to church, kind of seeking God. And about four weeks later, I was at a church and I watched a preacher preach with conviction and passion I'd never seen before. God began to deal with my heart. My soul began to be stirred. And as I was sitting there, God just revealed Himself to me. And I'm telling you, I can't, it's, it's, I, I don't know any other way to say it than that. God revealed Himself to me. I mean, there was not a physical God that showed up. Jesus did not like show Himself to me in the flesh, and I was the only one that saw it. But I'm telling you something, I saw God. God opened my eyes. He opened the eyes of my heart, and I, and all of a sudden I knew God was real. The most awful terror came over me. I thought, if God's real, He knows everything I've done. And I'm I'm telling you, terror came over me. And then I thought, well, if He knows everything I've done, why did He reveal Himself to me? Why not just let me kill myself? And I realized God cared me, cared for me, and loved me, even though I didn't care for Him or love Him. And then I just began to cry uncontrollably. I'm thinking this, how can this be? I went forward at the end of service. I didn't have anybody kneel with me and tell me the sinner's prayer. I didn't know to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I didn't ask Jesus to come into my heart. I didn't know any of that, but here's what I knew. God was real. I was a sinner and I was turning to God and all I could get out of this mouth of mine was God, I am sorry. I am sorry. I am so sorry. God, I am sorry. And I'm telling you something. At that moment, 14 years ago, God came into my life and radically changed me forever. I've never been the same since. And for the first time in my life, my soul, my spirit came to life and my soul was restored. This is the initial restoration of the soul. This morning, if you never been born again, if you've never come to God and confessed your sins, if you've never turned to Him to follow Him, you need your soul restored. You need your soul saved this morning. And I promise you, God will meet you right where you're at. So we have the initial restoration of the soul, but I want to talk to you about the continual restoration of the soul. Because here's the truth. There's not anything I've ever experienced in my life, not my wedding day, not the birth of my children. There's nothing I can explain that will ever compare to the day that God saved this sinner boy right here. There's nothing that will compare to it. Everything changed in my life and it changed like that. Doesn't mean I've never fallen. Doesn't mean I've never had bad days. Doesn't mean I've never acted like a jerk. Doesn't mean that I've did everything right. But I'm telling you something. Everything changed that day. And my soul was restored. But I'm here to tell you something. That was 14 years ago. And I don't mean to give you a pity party, but I'm just going to tell you over 14 years, it hadn't always been easy. I know what it is to be sick. I know what it is to be depressed. I know what it is to have my mind so ravished I'm getting lost, driving around, not knowing where I'm going. Because life still happens, brothers and sisters. And I know what it is to be a blood-bought, born-again Christian, knowing that I'm saved. I love God. I'm being faithful to church. I'm doing everything that I know to do. And yet, still inside, my soul seems broken and, and it's hurt and it's wounded. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God continually... Restores the soul. Our text this morning says, He restores my soul. Not He restored my soul. That happened initially. But it is a present tense verb. He restores my soul. That is continually. Thank God that God continually restores the soul. Thank God that God knows that even when we're saved, we still suffer. We still go through pain. We still have heartache. At times, we don't feel right. We don't think right. We don't act right. Our soul is vexed. We're wondering if we're ever going to be able to come up out of this mess. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God is faithful and He restores the soul in the midnight hour. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're going through. God wants somebody here this morning to know He knows He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. He knows what you're going through. And He is the answer to the restoration of your soul. He is the answer to making you whole again. He is the answer to fixing your broken heart. He restores the soul. The continual restoration of the soul. God restores our soul from suffering. Look at John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So in Jesus we have peace, but in the world we have tribulation. Hey, you're In the world we have tribulation. Listen, Christian, and listen carefully. Red letters, Jesus speaking. In the world we have tribulation. In this world, we have tribulation. Don't ever let anybody tell you that if you love God and you serve God right and you believe right and you've got the right faith and you give right and you do everything right, that God's just going to shower you with such blessing that you're never going to have tribulation and that the world's going to be easy. That's not what the Word of God teaches. It teaches us that in tribulation... We have peace that passes understanding. It teaches us that in in tribulation and in pain and in suffering, we can find hope in the fact that God is ours. He is our shepherd and He knows our needs. But make no mistake about it, in this world we have tribulation. It's a world of suffering. It's a world of awful suffering. Some things are unspeakable. I mean, it, it, it makes you want to cry to talk about it. Some of the awful things that happen to children. Some of the awful things that happen in the way of abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse. Some of the, the suffering that people go through and it's not your fault. You know, you, you couldn't have stopped it if you wanted to. It wasn't a result of your sin. It wasn't a result of your bad choices. It wasn't a result of anything you did. And sometimes we go through suffering. And pain. Because this world is a world full of bad things. Evil. It is currently, the Bible teaches us, under the the overall rule, this world, the people of this world, of the devil. He's called the prince of this this air. He is the god of this age, the Bible calls him, little g. Blinding the minds and hearts of those who do not believe. And where do we go when we suffer? Where do we go when we've had to endure awful tragedies that nobody should ever have to endure? The answer? We go to God. The answer we go to the One that we can trust is faithful. The One that we can trust that every single time we ever turn to Him, He's there with His arms To wrap around us and embrace us. And it is in that place when there is nobody else that that knows the anguish that you've been through. There is nobody else who knows the suffering that you've been through. That you can run to Him and He can wrap His arms around you and say, Child, I do know. I know the extent of your suffering. I know the extent of your pain. I am so close to you, child, that I know your thoughts before you ever think them. I know where you're at. And I, child, can hold you. And I can love you. And I can give you strength. And I can lift you up and we can make it through this thing together. He continually restores the soul. He continually restores the soul from sin. Thank God for that. I'd like to tell you that if you got saved, you'd never sin. But you will. And I really mean, I wish I could tell you that, because sin is harmful. Sin sin is harmful. It hurts you. It hurts others. And I wish I could tell you that you would never sin, but you do. It happens. Being a Christian will not make you sinless. If you're really saved, it will make you sin less. And you will have a heart to serve God. And a spirit that convicts you of sin when you do it. But you will sin. And I've found for me, talking about the restoring of the soul... Sometimes for me personally, some of the hardest times I have to let this soul of mine be restored by God is when I've just blown it and I know it and I sinned and there's no excuse for it and I don't even want to look God in the eyes. I don't even want, I don't even want to pray to Him. I don't, I don't want to be around Him. I don't want to be around you. I just want to go back in my little hole and be, have my pity party because I blew it and I knew it. I'm here to tell you something this morning. God continually restores and he restores from sin. God is so concerned about us knowing that He restores from sin. Because I think personally, if I'm probably not the only one out there like me. Out of all the times I need my soul restored, it is always the most when I have just blown it and I know it and I have sinned against the God who loved me. God has went to no small extent to tell us as vividly as He can that he restores from sin. Not just the first time, not just at the initial restoration of the soul, but continually. In Micah chapter 7 and verse 19, the Bible says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. When our sins cast us down, God knows how to cast our sins away. And where does he cast them away? The Bible says, into the depths of the sea. Not just the sea, but the depths of the sea. That part you and I can never get to. That part you and I were never meant to go to. That part that you and I could never live to to get down there. They're in the depths of the sea. The blackest part of the sea where you will never see them again. God says that is where I cast your sins. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Psalm 103 and verse 12, God cast them as far away as the east is from the west. Colossians 2.14 says our sins have been erased like letters from a slate. In Job chapter 14 and 17, he says our sins are like they have been sealed in a bag that can never be opened again. In Isaiah chapter 38, our sins have been cast behind his back. In Isaiah chapter 44, God says He has swept them away as a cloud is swept away from the sky and never to be seen again. I mean, what other imagery could God give us to let us know how He's dealt with our sins? He says it's like they're white as snow. There's about nothing brighter than snow especially when snow has covered the entire ground and there is no dirt that's been splattered on it yet. It is over all the ground. There's no grass sticking through. There's no plants sticking up through. It is just nothing but snow. I can't hardly think of anything my eyes have ever seen brighter than that. I mean, it's so bright it's, it's hard to look at. God says, that's how I see your sins. Gone. Totally. There's not. We sing that song about uh, Him cleansing our deepest stains. See, I want you to understand something, brother or sister. There are certain sins we think, well, God can deal with that. Everybody tells a little white lie. God can deal with that. Everybody has a bad day and gets a little snappy sometimes. But then there are certain sins that we think the stain is so deep that somehow, way, God could not forgive that. That somehow, way, we've still got to pay for that thing. We've still got to do pittance. We've still got to make things right. And we try, to, we try to make it right. And we put all this weight on our shoulders. God wants us to hear this morning... That He sees you as white as snow. If you are a child of God this morning, do not let your sin cast down your soul. As far as the east is from the west. Erased from a tablet. Sealed in a bag that cannot be opened. Behind His back. Like a cloud that's gone. You'll never see a cloud again. You ever see the same cloud Twice. Many of us have seen clouds, thousands of clouds. There's not one of us here that's ever seen the same exact cloud twice. You never wake up in the morning and say, That cloud was there yesterday. God said, That's how I see your sins. I mean, how else can God explain it to us? He vividly goes to every extent He can to help us understand He has dealt with our sins. And when our sins begin to cause us to be cast down and our soul is in despair because we have failed God, listen, this morning you can go to God and find forgiveness in God and He will restore your soul. John says it very plainly in 1 John chapter 1. Verses 8 and 9. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Here's what John says about it. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you hear that this morning? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. He's faithful and just. I, would just. I can't help but wonder if there's somebody here in this house this morning that's holding on to condemnation. You're holding on to guilt. You're holding on to shame. You're, 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 you're messed up in your soul because of something you did wrong. God says all of us have sinned. And God says if you just confess it, He's faithful and just to forgive it. This morning, confess it to God. And if you've already confessed it before, most of us have. Most of us have confessed it five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And we just keep confessing it because we can't seem to get over it. And we're asking, Oh, God, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. And God's saying, what are you talking about? Forgive you for what? You're asking me to forgive you for something I can't even see any longer. In my own life, I've had to come to see that sometimes I just think I'm more righteous than God. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I mean, if God God can forgive it, but I don't think it's worth forgiving. I think I need to make myself pay for it. Now, God says it's done. God says it's over with. God says it's in the sea of forgetfulness. But Joplin says, no, that is not sufficient. There needs to be more payment. There needs to be more suffering. There needs to be more guilt. You've got to hold on to this thing and make it right so that you never do it again. You see, I thought I was more righteous than God. And when I came to see that the most righteous God, the perfect God, the flawless God, the all-knowing God, the one who never makes a mistake, if He has declared that I am righteous, then what am I doing arguing with Him? His opinion's the only one that matters. And the freedom it gives. Not freedom to sin, but freedom to live free from the guilt of sin. I'm telling you, when you get a hold of it, you get a hold of grace. You get a hold of how much God loves you. You get a hold of the provision that He has made. You get a hold of how He actually sees the whole thing. It overwhelms your heart and there's something that bubbles up inside that says, Now I want to do this because I love God. Now I want to do this because He's good, because He's made the way, not because I'm afraid, not because I feel like I'm trying to, 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 to perform so that God loves me, but He does love me and therefore I want to honor Him with all my heart. He continually restores the soul from discouragement when others fail us. Can we be honest, sometimes it's discouraging when other people fail us. discouraging when your husband doesn't want to serve God. You've did everything you can. It's discouraging when your wife doesn't want to serve God. You've did everything you can discouraging when you've poured your life into your children. You've tried to teach them right. You've had to train them right. You've tried to, to bring them up right. You did everything you know how, knew how to do. And then they want to go off and do their own thing. And they don't have any love for God. And, and you see them sinning. And you see them suffering. And they call. And they want to talk about what's wrong. And, and you know the answer is that you need Jesus. It's discouraging when people fail us. Sometimes it's our loved ones. Sometimes it's friends that we trusted. Can I just say, frankly, this morning, at some point in time, everybody's going to fail you to some degree. I mean, we're people. They're people. Don't expect anyone else to be God. Let's be honest enough to hold the mirror up and look, look ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what, sometimes I fail people. You ever failed anybody ever? Well, if you have failed people at times in your life, Why do you expect nobody to ever fail you? People fail us. But when they do, it can be discouraging. I never get excited when I feel like somebody's failed me. I don't know about you. It's something that's discouraging. But when people fail us, and the soul is... Is, 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 it feels broken and your heart is broken and, and you don't know what else to do and you feel like you've done all you can. God restores his soul and he reminds us though people may fail you, I will never fail you. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You may be abandoned by others. You may be forsaken by others. But there will never be a day. There will never be an hour. There will never be a moment. There will never be one single second of any minute in your entire life, child. God says that I will forsake you or leave you. I will be with you until the end. And it's in that time when we begin to refocus on God. And we remember that our God is always for us. Our God is always with us. That the soul can find strength and be restored even in the face of discouragement. He is the God who restores our soul. And finally on this point, from discouragement when we fail ourselves. Sometimes we even fail ourselves. Not necessarily with sin. Sin is certainly a failure where we fail ourselves. But sometimes we don't, we don't, we don't get where we thought we were going to go. Sometimes in the face of, of the enemy and in the face of danger, our faith seems to flee. And we don't really stand in our faith like we think we should. And every one of us, listen, if you've been there and you've done that, you come out on the other side, you remember that God's graceful and you remember that God's good, and you look back and here's what we think when we go through those times, don't we? We think, well, that was silly. I knew better. I got, be- I got more faith than that. And we think, why didn't I believe in the moment? Why, why, why did why did I let my soul become so discouraged when I knew that God was good and I knew that God was with me? But the answer why is because this is a battle, folks. It is a war and it's not always easy and we do get tired and sometimes we lay down on the job. and sometimes we just decide, I'm not going to fight today. I'm not going to battle today. I'm just going to let whatever happens, happens. If I get cranky, I'm going to get cranky. If I get hateful, I'm going to get hateful. If I get fearful, I'm going to get fearful because I'm just too exhausted to fight this spiritual fight. We have all been there. I've been there. You've been there. It happens. And then we fail and then then we're, we're ashamed of ourselves. You know what Paul told Timothy? I think it's interesting because it was the book of 2 Timothy which to most of our knowledge was probably the last thing Paul ever wrote, and it was shortly before he knew he was going to die. There are some scholars that believe that Second uh, Timothy was penned in the last few months of Paul's life. And Paul's writing to his protege. He's, he's writing to really the man that's going to step into his position and kind of take over and oversee everything Paul was seeing. And one of the things that Paul told Timothy, of all things, i mean, we're talking about Paul talking to Timothy, When we are faithless, He remains faithful. This isn't Paul talking to the average church that seems to be scattered to and fro. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Apostle Timothy. That's who this is. He says, when we are faithless, He remains faithful. Even the best of us at times are faithless. Even the best of us at times... We, we we talk about it. It's like being in a ball game. We practice and we're ready and we're confident and we can do this thing. And we know we're, I'm ready to step up to the bat and I'm ready to hit the ball. And I've did this a hundred times before. I'm ready for the game. Put me in. And then all of a sudden the lights are on. The crowd is watching and you're there and your knees are shaking and you're saying this wasn't what I anticipated. This wasn't how I pictured it in my mind. This was not how I pictured ministry. This is not how I pictured marriage. This is not how I pictured this whole thing working out. And in the the moment of time, we fail. All of a sudden, it's like our faith just goes. Paul says, even when you're faithless, God remains faithful. And I've had to remind myself at times... This whole thing, my life, my marriage, my my children, this church, my life as a whole, it's really in His hands, it's not in mine. I've just got to do the best I can to be faithful to Him. But I have learned that even when I'm faithless, and even when it feels like I'm faltering, I can look back and tell you 100% of the time, God is always faithful. Thank God for the continual restoration of the soul. And finally this morning as I close, The final restoration of the soul. Look what the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 21. We have the initial restoration of the soul. We have the continual restoration of the soul. But there will be a final restoration of the soul. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. Now look at these things that apply to the soul. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come. And I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Here we see for the saved the final restoration of the soul. No sorrow, no no more death. You see, when we get there, there won't be that process of us trying to talk ourselves into God's here. God's faithful. I'm going to make it through this trial. I'm going to make it through this battle. There won't be any more battles. There won't be any more trials. And I'm telling you, when that day, when the soul is finally and completely and forever restored, it'll be the greatest thing that we could ever know. And I want you to know this morning, that's why Jesus told us in this world, you'll have tribulation. Our hope is not in this world. Paul said, if our hope was in this world, we'd be of the most miserable. Because really, we're hated. We're persecuted. We are contrary to the world. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the one to come. I ask you this morning, where are you headed? As our worship team comes, I have one final thought for you. God cannot restore what is not in His hands. God cannot restore what is not in His hands. Too often we try to fix it ourselves. We try to make ourselves pay for our own sins. We try to make ourselves fix, you know, our own mistakes. Our soul is discouraged and downcast. We maybe have family struggles, marriage issues, financial burdens. And if you want God to restore your soul, you've got to be willing to take your heart and your soul and place them in His hands. This morning, if you're here and you're lost, you've never truly experienced The initial restoration of soul, the the giving of life, truly being born again. You've got to be willing to take your life and put it in His hands because God is a restoring God. It's in His nature to restore. What He touches, He gives life to. What He touches, He heals. What's in His hands, He restores. It is in His nature to restore. But He cannot restore what you're not willing to put in His hands. Have you been holding on to your battle this morning? Have you been holding on to your discouragement and your pain and your struggles and trying to fix it yourself? Trying to internalize it yourself? Trying to keep it all to yourself? This morning, says God, God says just put it in His hands. Trust Him with your soul. Let Him restore it. This morning, if you're lost, would you trust Him with your soul? This morning, if you're burdened, child of God, with the things of this world, remember, this place is not our home. He told us we'd have tribulation here. Let's let's focus our eyes on where we're going. Father, we thank You that You are the restorer of our souls. God, we're so grateful that You don't just restore our souls once, but You are the continual restoring God. God, I pray this morning that Your Word, as it has gone forth, right now would take root in somebody's heart in this place, that this Word, that this moment was specifically for Move all across this room in Jesus' name.